Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, as we talk about the coming or the advent of hope. Now, every year it seems like we get to the end of the year and we wonder, where did all that time go? It's like every year we're surprised that the 365 days of the past year has flown by us. In fact, if you think about the pace of how we do life, it seems that, you know, we go from this place of uh, fireworks from the new year. Even though it's illegal, you're not supposed to have it. Uh, every year there's a viral video of people driving through the west side of Oahu and all the fireworks are just going up everywhere in every neighborhood. It's like a, a, just a big fireworks show all throughout, the, all throughout our island. And we go from the fireworks of the new year to the fireworks of 4th of July. And then we get into football and football is autumn and fall and pumpkin spice lattes, right? And um, we get through Christmas. And as we get through Christmas, we're surprised that another year has gone by. Now, the Advent was meant to wake us up from that slumber. The purpose of Advent is to get to, is for the church to get us to, to wake up to the days that are just flying us by. You see, in the first Advent, uh, we see the coming of Jesus Christ as He puts on flesh and He dwelt among us. But that there's a second Advent that where Christ returns in all of His glory and all of His power, uh, this time not as a baby, but as a reigning, ruling, resurrected King. And so we're living in this space, as Mark 13 says, and we consider the second advent of Christ. And God has given us and He's filled us with the Holy Spirit and the mission of Jesus to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to push back the kingdom of darkness in this world of chaos. And we should maximize the minutes and the hours and the days and weeks and months that God has given us. And we do so with anticipation. We do so with uh, preparation until Jesus Christ comes back to its full consummation. So that's what really what Advent is all about. And we're gonna go through Genesis chapter three uh, verses 14 through 15, just two verses. Let's go ahead and turn there. I'll be reading from the NIV version. And it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed, underline, circle that, are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I, meaning God, will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, and I insert in there the word seed, it's singular, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we invite you right now. May we have... Uh, a yearning. May you stir our hearts, stir affection, O oh Lord Jesus, so that we could look forward and anticipate your return with hope. 
Hope does not disappoint because we have the Holy Spirit poured out into us. So, Father, I pray right now that um, not only would you give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, but, Lord, would you give us um, a mind to understand your word and hands and feet to live them out. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Advent did not begin in a stable in Bethlehem, but in a garden in Eden. Anticipation, waiting, this expectation of hope did not start with shepherds and the three wise men and the little drummer boy, but with the promise of hope in the face of failure and grace in the midst of disobedience. As the first book of the Bible, Genesis stands as the unique book of beginnings. Not only the beginning of humanity with creation, but also the beginning of God's restorative work. Where God restores, where God redeems, and God begins to give His people hope. As we read in our text uh, this morning, that the word seed there, or offspring, it's singular. And the seed or offspring that comes from uh, Eve, it's going to bring about a promise and a promise of hope. In Genesis 15, the Lord announces the, the future coming of a seed who will bruise or crush, the NIV says, crush the head of the serpent. And this is what is commonly referred to as the Proto-Evangelium or Proto-Evangelion, which means it's the first sign or the first gospel or the first promise of a Messiah, a first promise of the Anointed One, the first promise of the Christ. And uh, regarding this first promise that, that first occurs in the book of Genesis, it starts, that's where Advent begins. Here is the... Uh, takeaway point uh, for us as we talk about hope. Would you write this down? The advent of hope. What is the advent of hope or the arrival of hope, even in Genesis, that Jesus has come to reverse the curse of sin. Jesus has come to not only undo this curse, but be, through the seed that we're going to read about, um, through the offspring of Eve in Genesis 3, down to the offspring through or the seed of Abraham in Genesis 17 and Genesis 22, not only would Jesus revert, um, undo the curse, but he is going to reverse the curse. And we see in Genesis 3 that God, because of uh, our disobedience, or Adam and Eve's disobedience, he puts down a curse. And this curse is threefold. The first is this, that there, the curse of sin, that's the presence of evil. Look at verses 14 and 15. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, and you will strike his heel. So the serpent here is cursed, and the serpent or the snake, he is the personification of evil or the devil. You see here, there's a temporary sting or pain of evil in the world where uh, the serpent will strike, 
will cause pain, will cause anguish in the world, and will strike the heel of the seed of Eve. Second, there's the curse of sin is that there's chaos in creation. There's chaos in creation. Look at verse 17 and 18. Cursed is the ground. You notice it doesn't say cursed are you, Adam. Cursed are you, Eve. Cursed doesn't, God does not curse people, but he curses the ground that, he, that they walk on. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. There's chaos in creation. There's pain in childbirth. There's thorns and thistles from the ground, from the sweat of your brow. Something that's supposed to be this utopia, the Garden of Eden, where the lion lays down with the lamb. All right. And there's no thorns. There's no thistles. There's no weeds. It's supposed to be perfect resting in God. But all of a sudden, there's hard labor. There's chaos in God's created order. That is a result of cursing from sin or curse, the curse of sin. And number three, the curse of sin is this, that there's, they're exiled from God's presence. Look at verse 23 to 24. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after he drove the man out. So not only was there chaos in the created order, not only was there the presence of evil, but most importantly, mankind, Adam and Eve, they were banished, they were exiled away from the presence of God. If someone were to ask me what the definition of hell is, I think most people, most people would answer, you know, hell is a place of torment, it's a lake of fire where the worms eat you, but you're not fully consumed. Uh, maybe, you know, if you played football during the summer, they have hell week where you have two a days, you have to work out twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. You have this crazy laborious workouts, intensive workouts, they call it hell week. But hell, listen, biblically, if you want to know what hell is, the biblical definition, hell is a place where the presence of God is not there. So the curse of sin is that Adam and Eve experience hell in the in terms of God exiled them and kicked them out of his presence. I think 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 it says they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That is a hellish experience where you've been shut off, that you've been cut off from the presence of God. And these are definitely curses of sin. The presence of evil, chaos in creation, and being banned or exiled from God's presence. And that's the bad news. But here's the good news and the whole reason of Advent. This sense of preparing and anticipating and waiting. There's hope in Jesus. 
There's blessing in the gospel of Jesus that through his, that through Eve's, even though she sinned, even though she disobeyed and rebelled against God, that through her seed, through her line, through her offspring, singular, there will be a blessing in the person of Jesus. So God, through Jesus Christ, he reverses the curse of sin. Look at the blessing of Jesus in Genesis chapter 22. The blessing of Jesus is that he destroys evil. Remember in 3.15 it says he will crush your head. He will crush your head. In, verse, in chapter 22, verse 17, it says, Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. You see here the, the comparison and the contrasting between the temporary bruising of the heel and the permanence of crushing of the head. And of course, the, the bruising of the heel refers to when Jesus Christ is the first sign of the good news, the advent of hope, is that when Jesus Christ died and he was crucified for our sins, he was bruised in the heel, that he suffered temporary pain and loss, that he was in the grave for three days. But... Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he crushed. He just straight up destroyed and then annihilated and crushed the head of Satan. Sin has been permanently crushed. Death does not win. Jesus does. So instead of the presence of evil... It is destroyed and Jesus reverses the curse. Secondly, the blessing of Jesus is that he restores creation. In chapter 22, it's fulfilled. Verse 18, it says, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. In chapter 12, verse 3, it says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see the reversal of the curse there? Where curse is the ground that you walk on, that you're going to have to work hard, that you're going to have to, by the sweat of your brow, the strength of your back. Now, through Christ, listen, He reverses that curse. Instead of chaos from creation, now there is a blessing. All the people of the nations of the world will be blessed through Jesus Christ. And thirdly, the blessing of Jesus is that it allows God to dwell with his people. Write that down. It allows God to dwell with his people. We see this fulfillment through Abraham's seed. From the seed of Eve in Genesis 3. Now we jump in Genesis uh, chapter 22. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. From being banished and exiled from the presence of God, now God, through Jesus Christ, He tabernacles. God dwells with His people. God is with us. Not only that, but He has sent us His Holy Spirit. 
And the purpose of Advent is to remind us that the Advent of hope is that Jesus has come to reverse the curse of sin. I don't consider myself much of an art uh, critique or an art person, even though I consider myself as a burrito connoisseur. But there's one uh, piece of, there's a couple of art that I really love. One is uh, Rembrandt's uh, Prodigal Son, where it's just, um, it's moved me to tears to have a visual to, to the art of the prodigal son coming home and the, the hand of the father. But another one, uh, it's not as famous. It's actually only been in the last 20 years. But when I did a study on the Advent, uh, there's a piece of art called Mary Consoles Eve. Now, this awesome painting is a crayon and pencil drawing by Sister Grace Remington, who is a Cistercian sister in Mississippi. If you look at this painting, I actually got the painting on the right, which is a, a rendition or a re-rendering by Scott Erickson, a Christian a painter, a Christian artist. But the one on the left is the original art, and this shows, you see Eve there with her long hair, and the snake has ensnared her. The snake has wrapped itself around her leg, and it's causing her to kind of be stuck and stumbled. And uh, you see her arms are looking two different directions. One is clutching on to the fruit or the apple that she chose instead of following God. But in the other hand, there, she's pointing her hand to the promise of the seed. And you see Mary is consoling Eve, putting her hand in a maternal way around her head consoling, comforting her, and, and she has Eve's hand around her belly, which is the promise of the seed, the promise of a Savior, the promise of a Messiah. And when we moved into the church office, I only have one piece of art, one piece of uh, painting, and this is the one on the right. It's a black and white version. It seems a little bit more artsy to me. But, you know, prior to seeing this picture, I never thought about the connection between Eve and Mary and how they're connected. Interestingly enough, even though Eve's firstborn son, Cain, is the initial human to introduce physical death into this world, when he couldn't control his anger and jealousy and he murdered his brother Abel. On the contrast, Mary's firstborn son, Jesus, reverses the curse of death by suffering at the hand of others. Instead of being the murderer, Jesus, Mary's son, is the one who is killed. And just as Jesus and Adam are linked together, 
Eve and Mary are linked together and their lives are intertwined. When Eve disobeys, Mary obeys. Eve's son brings death. Mary's son brings life. When Eve couldn't resist the tempter in the garden, Mary crushes his head with her heel and for the fruit in her womb is the one who would defeat evil once and for all. In this season of Advent, may our hearts understand the legitimacy of Eve's mourning because we are all familiar with the story of disobedience in our own lives. Have you ever felt like your failure is too much to overcome? Maybe a wrong decision was too damaging and there's no way of recuperating and salvaging the wreckage of your life. Maybe you made a decision where it feels like the disobedience that you committed against God, it was too insurmountable for redemption. Maybe you've gone through a divorce where all your family told you and pleaded with you and your loved ones told you she's not the one or he's not a good man to marry, but you still did it anyway and it ended up in divorce. Maybe you're familiar with regret and failure and heartache. Maybe you've experienced a failed business venture or you've filed for bankruptcy or maybe you've gone through the stigma and the disappointment and the heartache and the loss of your home. Maybe you have had a, a home foreclosed. Maybe you've gone through the heartache and the devastation of an abortion and you wondered, how can I have hope through this devastating time? Maybe you've failed in school or you dropped out of college and have thought like, man, how, this is too much. How can God redeem the situation? How can I have hope in these times? If you could answer this question, man, if I could do things all over again, I wish I would have and fill in the blank. If you could do one thing in your life and do it all over again, what would it be? And we go through this time of I could have, I should have, I would have, I wish I didn't. And it feels like your failure is insurmountable. However, can we rejoice in Mary's yes and anticipate in the blessing that she carries? In the picture that I showed, how beautiful in this picture, and this is why I chose the one on the right with Scott Erickson's because Mary, or excuse me, Eve rather, she drops the apple on the floor. There's no ambivalence where she holds on to the apple that she bit and sinned against God and holds on to the tummy of Mary. But Eve, she drops it lets it go completely and fully receives and fully, and fully puts her hope, her faith, her trust in the coming Messiah. Where there seems to be no way, God made a way. 
And here is the main action point and application that I want us to walk away with. That God will cover your failure with His grace. Let me repeat this. God, He will cover, He will clothe your failure, your disobedience, your mistakes, and He will do so with His grace. Where do we see this? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, the eyes of Adam and Eve. Then they realized they were naked. So what they do, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And let's jump down to verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed and clothe them. Listen, church, God will cover your failure with His grace. Your works are insufficient. It is inadequate. You've sinned against a holy God, trying your best, doing good, trying to be a good person. That's just kind of like sewing fig leaves together and and covering your nakedness and covering your shame. It's like crashing your boss's brand new Tesla and trying to make up for it. It's like, you know what, boss? I crashed your brand new $80,000 Tesla, but I'll show up to work early tomorrow. That will make up for it. Or you accidentally burned down your parents' house while they were away and you try to make up for it by, you know what, uh, mom, dad, you know, sorry I burned your house down, but you know what, I'm now getting along with my brother. We'll stop arguing, we'll, we'll stop fighting. Like that's going to do anything to try to compensate for the loss that occurred. Did you guys catch in verse 21 that the Lord God, He made garments of skin. Instead of this inadequate, insufficient fig leaves that were sewed together to cover their nakedness, what did God do? He made garments of skin. What does that mean? That God made a sacrifice of animals. That God had to use, that blood needed to be shed. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That life and power is in the blood. That God required a blood sacrifice to cover the nakedness and the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment of Adam and Eve. And we try to cover our nakedness and shame by doing stuff for God. We try to cover and try to, we think somehow that this is kind of like a, you know, a weighing scale that my good will outweigh my bad. Your good works, listen church, it is, your righteousness is like filthy rags. You need to put your hope in Jesus, your religion, your good intentions, it's not sufficient. It is not enough. Blood needs to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And this is why Jesus came. This is why the God of this world, the infinite creator of the heavens and the earth, he took on skins, he took on bone, he became an infant in this world. 30 years on this life, 33 years 
He lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. He died our death on the cross that you and I deserved. And he became a sacrificial lamb, the holy lamb of God for you and for me. He died our death on the cross and he was resurrected. He crushed the, the head of the serpent forever disabling the evil one. And in his first coming, he initiated the kingdom of God, but in his second coming, there will be the full consummation. Would you put your hope in him? And, you know, like, you know, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 7 that, man, woe is me. The things that I don't want to do, that's what I do. The things that I do want to do, those are the things that I don't do. It's like, man, curse be this, this body of sin. But Paul says, but blessed be God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rescues me. When Christ returns, the second advent is this hope that I have is that now I won't have a dual nature, a spiritual nature to please God and a sinful nature to please myself. When Christ returns, listen, in his second advent, his second coming, I will only have one nature and that is to please God. Like this week, you know, I was, I was at home. I took my son uh, Noah, my middle child, and I said, son, you sit down here. I just want to let you know I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the man of God that you're becoming. You know, you're really diligent, and I love how you worship. You guys go to church and set up early, and I just spoke life, and I just blessed and built up my son. Not 30 minutes later, I'm reaming him, raising my voice. I'm yelling at him and telling him, oh, man, you need to work harder. You need to do this. And... And I come to realize how much I need Jesus. And I look forward to the hope that when Christ returns, this body of sin will be done away with. That I only have one nature, one will, and that is to please God. But until then, I put my faith, my trust, my hope in Jesus Christ coming back, making all things right. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray.